VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Network programming, how does it work? Hi there, I am Ken Levine, your podcast moderator. This is part two of our two-part interview with Preston Beckman, who is a media consultant and chairman of the Beckman Group for 20 years. He was at NBC. He was at NBC during the must-see TV era, and he was putting their schedules together for them then. And for 15 years, he was at Fox. Part one was last week. If you missed it, after you listen to this week, go back and listen to that. This week, we're going to get into TV ratings, research, building a schedule, counter-programming, moving shows from one night to another, uh, why networks have abandoned Friday and Saturday nights. We'll talk a little bit about sports on TV, post-Super Bowl programming, what makes for a good pilot. That's a fascinating section. Also, we'll talk a little bit about casting, the casting of Cheers and Seinfeld. And interestingly, George Costanza was not originally played by Jason Alexander. Hmm. And on news radio, you know the Dave Foley part? Well, that was not originally Dave Foley. So a great interview coming up, part two, with Preston Beckman. Hollywood and the Vine. Let's talk a little bit about ratings mm-hmm. because it's, um, it's always been a pet peeve of uh, TV producers mm-hmm. that uh, our lives depend on these ratings, and we're not quite sure how accurate they are. Well, first of all, our lives depended on it. Yes, yes, exactly. Our jobs were as well on the line as much as yours were. That's true. Look, I I think that they're they're pretty accurate. Uh, They're not perfect. But I think that um, unless Nielsen's completely making them up, and I'm not going to completely dismiss that, that, um, (laughs) you know, the fact that every week... You see a, a pretty reliable consistency in the ratings, plus or minus. You know, and there is there is a, a level of confidence around that number. Uh, I think that's telling you something. I think that uh, if you've worked in the business as long as I have, or even you have, you have a pretty good idea what that rating is going to be for the premiere. I mean, on my my Twitter feed, I will oftentimes predict the ratings mm-hmm. and. You know, not to pat myself on, I'm pretty accurate. Not because I have some kind of, just I've, I've looked at them for so long. And when you factor right. in the changes in ratings where what used to be considered disasters, now considered renewable, uh, you know, you can get pretty, pretty close. Because first of all, the range now, nowadays is maybe, you know, 0.9 to a, a 2. Uh-huh. <laughs> on, right, on a yeah. Broadcast that so how off are you going to be? Right. <laughs> uh, you know, and so I, I I think that they're accurate. I think Nielsen um, does, uh, they are monopoly. And I think that they do a really good job of keeping everybody else out of the marketplace. I mean, in mm-hmm. all the years I've been, whether in research or in, in programming, I don't know how many competitors to Nielsen have come and gone and will continue to come and go. So right. they seem to still have that monopoly. Um so I uh, I do believe that um, 
in the ratings. And even the show like Cheers, even though it started small, I mean, clearly you saw, we saw growth and we saw continued growth. And it's also, um, the other thing about ratings is the demographics. And you rarely uh, see a show that doesn't in some way conform to what you believe the demos of that show are going to look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, again, as a producer, I, I always felt that you can take the ratings and you can skew them any way you want. You know, you could say, hey, but look at it. We went up 36 oh, yes. percent in uh, in women 18 to 19. Well, that's the job of <laughs> yeah. our press department. Right. I mean, you know, right. every, everybody's right. a winner. We're doing good. Yeah. But I, I will say, I mean, in all the years that I was in scheduling, I mean, there were so many shows that if you purely looked at the ratings would have been canceled. Uh, Seinfeld was a, a classic right. example. Cheers right. at the beginning. Homicide. Mm-hmm. Which, which went on for about five or six years on the network. I'll Fly Away, which we gave a second season to. There were lots of, I can give you lots of examples of, of, of shows that Arrested Development over at Fox, mm-hmm. which where Rupert Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch almost threw me out of a window when I stood <laughs> up there and said, we're bringing it back for a second season. So, I mean, there's, it's, uh, you know, I know the, the broadcast executives painted as some kind of evil suit. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, soulless. What did, they, what did they hate about Arrested <laughs> Development? I mean, it won the Emmy that but first year. But ratings were, and, and again, you know, to your point about Fox, there was no natural place on our network for a show like right, that. Right, right. Well, it was a family show. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, when you put the schedule together, mm-hmm. are you concentrating more on just your needs and your network, yeah. or are you focusing a lot on counter-programming? Well, I did it for almost 25 years. So, you know, if I told you that the way I did it in 1991 was uh, the way I was doing in, right. in, in and the that's mid... You know, changing now. Yeah, yeah uh, sure. I would be lying to you. Sure. I mean, I think when I started, uh, there was much more, as I said, of the zero-sum game. You had to be much more aware of what was your competition was going to be. You had to anticipate it because when you were in the scheduling room, sometimes you didn't know exactly what your competition was going to be. Right. Um, as we started to get become successful at NBC, I found that uh, I, was, I cared less about what the other guys were doing because I felt we just had a strong enough schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, also, they had to counter-program you. Yeah, also what we did at one point... Um, and I can't remember if somebody changed. There was a, there was a certain order in which the networks announced their schedules. Right. And NBC, I believe, what was going last. Uh-huh. And then uh, is what you want, right? No. Oh, I, I, Not, I would think, well, oh, I would no, think no. that you want that, to, that first no, would be the worst. You want to go first. Oh. If you if you're in, if you have a strong schedule. You want to be first. Okay. So my point being is that uh, I convinced my boss, Warren Littlefield, that we should jump over the other networks and take Monday. Because I believe we were going on Thursday or something. We were going after. Do you guys, like, agree to it? Or how how does that even work? Nobody was going on Monday. Oh, I see. So we... Okay. And uh, that was a great expense to all of us because we usually would go to New York over Mother's Day weekend. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of us had to convince our spouses that, well, you know, we're going to be in New York for Mother's Uh Day. And that's the way we... um, So we would always go first. And, uh, and I believe when I got to Fox, we moved to first also once we had America. I, I like it because 
as a scheduler, even though uh, there are very smart people in all scheduling jobs now, um, I always, my goal, the golden rule for me was let the other guys or women, but unfortunately it was mostly guys back then, right, right. Uh, do the dirty work for you. Uh-huh. You know, you put your schedule out and you let them react and they'll generally react in ways to make you stronger and them weaker. They might not realize it, but that's what they do. So I always believed in going first. And sometimes counter-programming uh, is a big risk and you mm-hmm. really lead with your chin. Um, I remember, and I, I imagine this was your time at, at NBC, but I was on Frasier and NBC moved us from Thursday to Tuesday. This was not was a popular... That was you? That was me. Okay. <laughs> you were not a popular figure in the Frasier room, yes. although it did work out. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, well when, <laughs> uh, if you have a minute, I'll tell you. Basically, we, um, we had un- some unscripted programming. We were thinking of putting some unscripted programming on Tuesday, and I got a call from one of the veteran sales executives in New York who told me that if I come to New York with a schedule with Unsolved Mysteries on Tuesday night, she was going to kill me. <laughs> and I, I believed her. I believed her. So I was, um, back then, that schedule would be in my mind 24-7. Right. And um, on a Friday night, Saturday morning, I suddenly had an epiphany. And I said, well, we've got these four really good shows on Thursday night, what if we doubled down? What if we took two of the shows over to Tuesday and put one at eight and one at nine? And again, back then, flow mattered. Right. And uh, we suddenly find ourselves with four slots to put uh, new comedies, which would cost a lot less, and it would give us four uh, four opportunities to find a new hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then, this is before Excel, I took a piece of paper and I wrote this all down mm-hmm. and I faxed it to Warren Littlefield on Saturday morning. And he called me up because I didn't realize it. I was just thinking about the shows and not the studios. And uh-huh. I realized that the two shows we moved over to Tuesday were both from Paramount. Uh-huh. And Warren called me and he said, you know, I think we have to do this but we're going to have to find somebody to start our cars for a few weeks uh, uh-huh. because we, we knew we knew what was going to happen. Right. And um, I actually ran into Kelsey Grammer at our, um, I think it was at our affiliate convention. Okay. And I introduced myself, and he kind of knew who I was because I think I was kind of a pariah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I told him the same thing I told Gary Hart, who was running the studio at the time. Uh, Paramount, and, and I said to Kelsey, I said, look, if you, you're, at some point, there'll be enough episodes of Frasier to go into syndication. And if you're the show that followed Seinfeld for your whole career, that means a lot less. That gives you a lot, there's a lot less value in that than being the show that started a second night for NBC. Uh-huh. And I said, if Paramount it's can't... It's been... Yeah. No, it's true. It's true, I know, yeah. yeah. I said to, I said to, the, to him, if Paramount can't figure that out, I will personally write this sales presentation for this show, because if this works, you've added tremendous value to to the show. And it did. And it did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome. In <laughs> retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember at the time. Uh, it was scary. It was yeah. a scary thing to do. And there was a lot of debate inside the building uh, about doing that. And if you remember, uh, ABC 
moved. We were going up against Roseanne. Okay. Frazier was going up against Roseanne. Right. And ABC uh, moved Home Improvement to Tuesday at 9 o'clock to uh, counter the move. And again, remember what I said about uh, let the other guys do the dirty work for you. You know, by doing that, ABC probably hurt themselves more than mm-hmm. it affected Frazier. You know, it it always baffles me that there is not another show like Frasier, that mm-hmm. none of the networks are developing a smart, sophisticated show like Frasier. When Frasier proved that it can draw a very large audience. Right. And, and, and when they do, they go back to shows like Will and Grace. In other words, they, 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 they go back to a show right. rather than saying, um, yeah, I, I, first of all, you know, there aren't as many comedies on as there used to. You know, I, I think CBS has a certain formula, even though CBS has a couple of smart comedies in Mom mm-hmm. uh, and even Big Bang in its own way. And, uh, and ABC has its formula. And ABC tried a couple of non-family shows they didn't work right. uh, I think NBC's trying to do some mm-hmm. shows like that but you know again it's a different world now is the reboots you know smack of desperation to a certain extent I think it's what it is is you know how do you break through the, you know everything and clearly if you if you reboot Roseanne or you reboot Will and Grace you're going to get the ink or this, whatever we right. call it nowadays. Right. <laughs> like the so, Will and Grace numbers are yes. like going down, yeah, going steadily night, down. Last night it was down to a one rating. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So it's like, well, it's a novelty. Yes. But after a few weeks, you go, well, I can watch the reruns and they're younger and funnier. Right. Same thing with X Files, uh-huh. where you know it came back very low uh, mm-hmm. this time around. So. Really, uh, all the aliens in the world watch that show, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the largest audiences uh, usually Sunday and Monday night. Friday and Saturday used to be big nights on television, and now in terms of the broadcast networks, they're they're almost abandoned, right. aren't they? Yeah, I think about that a lot uh, because, you know, it's kind of, in a way it's silly because if when you talk, when, not you, when, when, mm-hmm. when, when the talk is that there are all these ways in which we're going to monetize these shows and make profit off of these shows and advertising is becoming less and less a factor mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. well, why don't you take full advantage of your 22 or 15 hours of television, why don't you program sure. Saturday night with comedies or dramas? And yeah, maybe they get. By the way, during the week, a lot of these shows are getting point nine one ratings. Right. There's no reason why you know uh, a a a older by older I mean twenty five fifty four skewing procedural on a Saturday night or three procedurals right. on a Saturday night won't get a one rating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you build up you build up uh, episodes and then you have all these other platforms in which you can. So I, I kind of, when I, when I left in um, 2015, the last time I was in the scheduling room, I, I made this case that your schedule is kind of like uh, your homepage. And you have to look at it as a homepage as, as opposed to a schedule. And if you have 15 hours that you can program, you have 15 hours where you can create assets for the corporation. And, Great way of putting it. Yeah. And there's this notion of uh, seeing, because the usage levels are somewhat lower on Saturday and somewhat lower on Friday, 
because, because and, and some of it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because, you know, you remember the days of, of uh, the Golden Girls yeah. and C- the CBS Sunday night. Yeah, Mary even, Tyler Moore and all the family and right. MASH, they and were when, all on Saturday right, nights. Right, one of the biggest battles was Dallas versus Miami Vice on Friday night. Right, you know, so, right. So there were, uh, there were so many, ABC had its Fantasy Island, Love Boat, T.J. Hooker. I mean, there were some classic Saturday and Friday night uh, you know, blocks of programming. Right, Carol and, Burnett. And yeah, yeah. And, and some of it was, I think, you know, cable started uh, to make inroads on those nights. That's where HBO started to put its, on Saturday night, put its original movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the networks kind of rolled over quickly and just sort of gave up and said, oh, well. And then also, I think nowadays um, with sports, uh, all the networks... Uh, well, maybe not less, a little less of CBS, but all the networks look at um, Saturday night as a way to help monetize their sports packages. Right. So you see more and more of that taking place also. But I, I agree with you. I, mean, I have always contended that for a major broadcast network, mm-hmm. whatever it costs, you need to have the NFL. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you need and, the, the and NFL or something big. You need whether right. it's the NFL, the Major League Baseball in the sense of the World Series can still, we've seen the last few years. Right. Um, uh, the, the NCAA tournament, is, is, I think, is a big act. It's right. a, it also helps CBS in that it covers a couple of Thursday and Friday nights where they can spread out their original programming more and they do a few less repeats. But... But, yeah, I mean, you know, the NFL, um, well, NBC now will sometimes do two games right. a week. But before the Thursday night package and when uh, football was on ESPN on, um, I'm sorry, when it was on Monday night on ABC, that Sunday night overrun would generally make the difference as far as what network won the whole week. Right. And I remember when CBS lost football yeah. to, to Fox. Yeah. Their network went right into the tank. I, yeah, I don't. I honestly, I've always believed sports. The sports audience is a borrowed audience. I don't think a lot of them hang around for whatever follows. Um, there's a little bit of that on Fox, given that it's a young, eighteen-thirty-four right. male audience. But football right. really is older. Um, I don't even know if it's really a promotional platform. I honestly don't. I think. It's really just being a ratings whore. I think it's uh-huh. really just wanting those huge numbers that you get from, uh, you know, and every, and every once in a while there's a perfect storm uh, on CBS or on Fox where you get both the, the NFC or the AFC championship game and the Super Bowl on right. your network right. on the same year. And it's right. like that's, that's all it takes to win the season. On those, uh-huh. on those two nights, right? So, um, oh yeah, it's and also from a schedule's point of view, it's a, it's kind of like the win win because you also there's no pressure on you that night. Right. The, the only pressure with the Super Bowl is what to put on after it. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was at NBC, you know, every year everybody would go, uh, okay, we're going to launch a show after the Super Bowl, right. and with the exception of. I can't even say the Wonder Years because the Wonder Years was going to go after Roseanne, and the A Team, which started, which didn't start at premiere a week earlier to the huge rating, it, it, it suddenly dawned on me this isn't working. That you're not really launching shows after the Super Bowl. So, one year I pitched the idea of why don't we take one of our biggest shows 
and go to them and ask them to do a special episode after the Super Bowl. And we went first. We went to Seinfeld, mm-hmm. and Jerry turned us down, which didn't <laughs> shock me at all. So we went to uh, Friends. Yeah, Friends. Yeah, right. and yeah. they did a one-hour episode, and we announced it in the upfront, which was the most right. important point of it. And uh, we made a lot of money. And that started a trend, not just at NBC, but with other networks, of going a little bit away from trying to launch something and saying, how can we make a lot of money after the Super Bowl? And it also, not, not only did we make a lot of money, but it helped the Super Bowl ratings because the, the post-game show had its one of its highest ratings ever in 18 to 49 viewers because people were waiting for friends to come on. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot. Um. Final question. I want to talk a little bit about program research because when it seems like 90%, whatever the percentages of shows that fail and all of them tested well (laughs) or tested well enough to get on the air uh, and shows like Seinfeld tested horribly, uh, isn't it a, a kind of faulty uh, method of making your decisions? Well, first of all, Seinfeld didn't test as horribly as, as legend has it. Okay. Uh, Just it, tested really, really bad. Yeah, I mean, most, most shows... Too many Jews. You know, <laughs> most, <laughs> most shows uh, back at NBC, we used to have uh, strong, moderate, and, we- and weak were the three categories. Okay. And then within, within each of those categories, there was a strong week, a moderate week, a week. <laughs> and, and, and Seinfeld, I believe, was either a weak, moderate, or a, or a strong week. It was somewhere <laughs> there. So it wasn't at the bottom of the barrel. Right. Uh, and and I'll, I'll answer your question in a second. But uh, one year, uh, we were at NBC, we were part of General Electric. And we had these, uh, I call them the GE nerds who would show up in my office every once in a while since I had the background in research. And they would say, what can we do for you? We want to do something. And, and Eric Cardinal was our head of research. And when we asked, one of the things they did for us was they redid our evaluation of pilots based on the testing. And based on their model, both Friends and Seinfeld were stronger shows than the testing indicated in the way we were oh, okay. evaluating the shows. Okay. They weren't through the roof. Right. But to answer your question, that, you know, there, if you you can you can think of shows in in there's, there are um, weak testing shows. There are very few really weak testing shows. I mean, bad testing shows that succeed. Okay. There are a lot of strong testing shows that fail. I'm, I'm not. I'll give you that. Okay. But if you get and 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 by the way, in, in at both NBC and especially at Fox, we put a lot of really bad testing shows on the air, and they failed. Mm-hmm. They failed. So, you know, if, if it's rejected in the testing, it's rejected. The, the issue is, do you have a good pilot that a smart creator did who knows how to do a good pilot, or do you have a television show? <laughs> They're different. Right. Right. You know, yes. There is. I don't have to tell yes. you. Uh-huh. There, there, are, there are a bunch of rules that if you say, I want to make a pilot and I want to get it on the air... Here are the rules I will follow. Right, right. And then you get... Tank the, goes through a, a oh, wall grandfather's, in the first five seconds. Grandfather's, and, a dog peeing on the villain. Right, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, so, hot I, babes yeah, and everything. I would, yeah. yeah, and then... The, 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 uh, or I used to call it the, um, 
the weight moment in a pilot, especially comedies, where people come together, they, they haven't known each other or whatever, they come, and it even happened with Cheers, actually. They come together, and then they're about to break up or leave. Uh-huh. And then somebody goes, wait. You uh-huh. know? Right. You've seen that. There's some version of that. <laughs> yes. I would always tell We've people... We've done a version of yeah, that. <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, it's, it's like, it's TV 101. <laughs> and, and I would always tell people, be very wary of that. Uh-huh. It'll work once in a while. Uh-huh. Uh, because you don't know what the show is. Right. All you know is the setup. You don't know right. the show. Uh, friends, on the other hand, if you remember that first episode, five of them are hanging out in the coffee shop and, and Rachel comes walking in in a wedding Wedding dress. dress. So Mm -hmm. they were already friends. That's why, uh, family comedies generally, what you see is what you get because, okay, here's the family. They know each other. They love each other. They care about each other. Oh, and they gave us a very satisfying episode. Uh, so to me, it's, it, I, I call it the phenomenon, I call it people together versus people apart. If you get a pilot, especially sitcoms, where the people were apart and come together at the end, watch out. Mm-hmm. If you get a pilot where the people are together, you know what, you know what you're going to get. So there are a lot of tricks. Um, so therefore, you know, especially with high testing shows, you'll sometimes find that you've been snookered. Now, I remember uh, towards the end of my career at Fox, we had a very high testing pilot comedy. And the, um, the head of research said, guys, don't put this on the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, what? It was our highest. Right. It was a 30-minute movie. We've seen the end. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. so so it's not, ju- you know, again, the, the, the real art are those middle shows. Mad About You was not a, a strong testing pilot. Why? Because remember, this was back in the um, early 90s, mm-hmm. having sex on a kitchen counter while your family was in the other room turned off a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But people loved the couple. So even though the testing wasn't that good, when we looked at what the characters, they loved Paul and Jamie. So so it's not just, I, it's never been the case uh, in the years I've been doing it that, oh, this is your highest testing pilot, let's put it on the air. I will say that if something is really, really, really weak, you will get resistance from the developers and something. But it, I, I, rarely, if ever, have I seen that show work. Mm-hmm. It's just been rejected. Interesting. You bring up the point about uh, about creators and good showrunners. Yes, and it seems to me that that is a, a huge value. That if you put on a show from a, a showrunner who you trust, then chances are he's going to be able to deliver a, a good show from week to week. Mm-hmm. And yet, as I sit on the sidelines now and and look at the development of these networks so many of these pilots are an actor who has a deal and a stand-up and uh and people who've like never written are are doing these pilots and i'm thinking to myself you people are walking into a propeller you have no idea what you are in for in how you make a television show every week. And so it always shocks me that a network is willing to take a gamble and spend all of this money on people who have no idea what they're doing. Well, uh, go on for another hour on that. <laughs> but uh, you know, first of all, there's just so it's just a demand for programming that is that. Right. Second of all, 
You say I can curse on here. Yes, you can. There's the, the star fucking element of it. It's mm-hmm. like, it's the press release. It's not so much I have a show that I can put out a press release that says so-and-so is right. doing a show for me. Right. Or this star who's never done anything in television is going to produce a TV show and probably holds television in contempt. Right. But, you're, you know. <laughs> but, but it's but, taking yeah. the money. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, though, um, a smart television executive or network well, if, uh, New Girl, I think, was a case where, where they said, we have a show here. We have an inexperienced showrunner. Let's put, let's find somebody to, to help. So every once in a while, uh, you will see a network will acknowledge that, uh, well, you know, we might, this might need, we might need someone who knows how to run a television show. Right. Uh, because we think it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off for us, which it did in the case of, of New Girl. Um, with all due respect to the creator of it. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think uh, some of it is, uh, oh, God. you know, you're in this business long enough, especially if you're in a scheduling job, because the scheduler has a completely di- different set of ways in which they're evaluated. Uh, so, you know, uh, we, all of us, and even when we get together, we'll roll our eyes a lot. And we'll go, what, what are they thinking? What, you know, the, right. and most, mostly it's, you know, it's, oh, we got, oh, and then there's the competent, we got them, they didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you got them because they didn't <laughs> want them, right? You know, so uh, and you know, agents know how to play the game and get the networks bidding for each other. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's it, it's uh, I think it's a, it's a question of we. There's just such a need for product that they're willing to go anywhere, and if they feel they've got um, they can get a press release out of it, maybe there'll be a show down the road. Mm-hmm. And so many of these things never they never happen, right? You know, yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, you know, another advantage of being in the business for any length of time is that we realize, yes, as creators, as showrunners, we're valuable, but casting, yes, <laughs> is everything. I, I I agree with that. I mean, yeah, we I can think of um, you know Seinfeld originally. Larry Miller was had the George Costanza role. Uh-huh. And, Ooh, yeah. That's and, four and out. Well, yeah. you know, and Laurie <laughs> yeah. Openden, who was head of casting at, at NBC, uh, was the one who put Jason Alexander in that role. House. Gary Sinise was House. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And Marsha Shulman, who was head of casting at uh, Fox at the time, found you, Laurie. Uh-huh. And even Emily Deschanel and Bones. You know, there, there were some really, that makes the, it's all about Casting. Yeah, it really it, is. Yeah, because again, if you're if you start with a a concept that's tried and true and is going to work, you know, I mean, could work, right. then it's about finding the people. I think that's true with Empire. Uh, uh, it is a yeah. great cast. Yeah, with, yeah, it's a great yeah. it's a great cast, and, and and I think that's why the show works as much as anything. So it's always it always comes down to do you have the chemistry, the right people. Uh, and then you have the writing, you know, it's, it's writing and casting. <laughs> That's it. Right. I mean, I think back to uh, the casting session of uh, Ted Danson and Shelley Long, uh-huh. and there were basically three teams. There was Shelley and Ted, and there was William Devane, and I think Julia Duffy, and Fred Dreyer, and Lisa Eichelberger. <laughs> And you just saw the couples, and it was just very clear that right. that Ted and Shelley that oh, yeah. that was it. Now, by the way, once in a while you blow it. Sure, you, you know. Do. I, sure I remember you do. Uh, it, it wouldn't have made a difference, but news radio, the original pilot, Ray Romano, 
was uh-huh. the, in the Joe Rogan role. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they dumped him. And so, you know, everyone, and, uh, you know, and then sometimes you'll see uh, some big, big, big stars who just, you know, in their first efforts where, you know, like Jennifer Aniston was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off mm-hmm. and Ben Affleck was in the show called Against the Grain. So every once in a while you, you grab onto somebody and you're right. I think James Franco, Seth Rogen, I mean, the cast of Freaks and Geeks was, right. was, was, was amazing. Great cast, yeah. 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 So um, once, sometimes you're ahead of your time. Sometimes you you blow it and you put you know you know the planets have to line up too. Yes, I mean Jennifer Aniston has to be available when oh, you're yes. casting Friends. Well, which she wasn't. She wasn't actually. Yeah, yeah, she was. Well, that's that's another interesting story right. because she was in second position, which meant she was on a CBS comedy, uh, which which was not on the full schedule, but because the comedy hadn't been canceled, we weren't certain that she would be available for friends and CBS for whatever reason announced they were putting this, their, this comedy on, on a Saturday night in um, the summer. And I remember we were at a current meeting, current meetings for your, or where we get together and talk about all the shows mm-hmm. and Warren Lowfield, my boss turned to me and he said, kill it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I don't care what you have to do. Kill that show. So we st- we had a series of Danielle Steele movies, which uh-huh. were not scheduled. Right. And we had a few, we always had a few originals in, in the bag. And I took one or two, I know I took at least one, I think two original Danielle Steele movies. Uh-huh. And the first two weeks that the comedy was on, it was going up against original Danielle Steele movies. Right. Which not only were get ratings, but going right at that women 2554 right. audience. Just the- and oh destroy destroy the show. <laughs> I destroyed his show on which I'm not proud. On um uh, Fox called it was a firehouse show and Fox did something without going into detail and, and really pissed us off. Okay. So I called up the head of scheduling and I said, I can't tell you when, but I am going to retaliate. And they put on the show at the start of the summer. They were trying to do original programming in the summer. And I had a uh, second run of backdraft. And I called Warren. And I said to Warren, you know, I think I can kill this show and we can retaliate if I put backdraft <laughs> on. And he said, fine, but just find out what the studio, who, what studio is right, producing right. the fire. It's not the same studio. Yeah, it's yes. not NBC yeah. Productions. Right. <laughs> right. I'd be out of a job. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, it turned out it was a Fox show, and um, I put it on and destroyed the premiere. Uh-huh. Destroyed it, and I got a call from their head of scheduling saying, um, "Are you done? <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys <laughs> friends? You know? Oh yeah, well yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, it's it's a very specific job, sure. and the people in the job are all somewhat similar. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They're all we're all sports fans, right? Uh, we all like music, it seems, you know, and um, and we love t- we love TV. Uh, really, you have to love TV sure. uh, uh, to, to, to do this job. And you're also, I think, and I think it's true of all of them, is none of us are, we know what our role is. We're not, we don't have, we don't have personal agendas. We kind of show up and we know our role is to be the consigliere to the the president, chairman, whatever the title right. du jour is. Right. Uh, and that's where you, that's where they go for the honest answers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it served me well, and I think clearly it served Kelly Caldwell because he's now running CBS. Uh, it's also It also gave me access to Rupert Murdoch, who he knew he could call me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I wasn't... You would take his calls? 
Yeah, I took you his took, calls. Well, okay. <laughs> or, so, or sometimes he would just show up in my office and wow. park himself. Uh-huh. But, you know, but he knew that I, for whatever reason, I just wasn't afraid to be honest with him. So, uh-huh. so you know, we, we kind of had our relationship. Do you miss it? Do you miss the yeah. action? No. no. Yeah, you've, you've done it enough, huh? No, I, uh-huh. I have to tell you, I wanted to retire at 62. Okay. And my boss, Peter Rice, made me an offer I couldn't refuse, uh, so I hung out for another three years. But um, I never bought into the business. I never bought into the lifestyle. Um, I we we moved somewhere where our kids could go to public school and and know normal people. And we mm-hmm. associate with normal people, uh, and um, I just I just it was a, always a job for me as opposed to uh, a lifestyle. Right, and um, that served me well. So I always worked not to work. Mm-hmm. So once I felt that um, I didn't need to do it anymore, I was out of there so fast. Uh, because scheduling is a very stressful job. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people, yeah. In, in the years that I've been retired, there are a lot of people who have said to me, boy, you look a lot better. You seem a lot calmer. Yeah. Uh, For drink, being a I professional a gambler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was in Vegas once. Uh, Leno was in Vegas doing his show, and Warren and I got on a plane and flew to Vegas. I called my mother who was in Queens, and um, I said, hey, Mom, I'm in Vegas. You want me to put a bet down or something? She said, oh, why don't you gamble? I go, Mom, I gamble for billions of dollars every year. <laughs> I said, when I, move, when I move a show into another slot, that's like, that's like putting all, you yeah, go all, you're going you're all, all in. in there. You're going yeah. all in. Yeah. So um, I, you know, uh, I was very blessed to work. I, my bosses have always been great. I really had no complaints about that. And I work with a lot of interesting people and still have a lot of friends in the business. But I have to tell you, whenever I'm heading towards the Fox lot or in that vicinity, uh-huh. I still break out in a cold sweat. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, um, I'm happy in what I do now. Well, thanks so much for keeping Cheers on the air um, and, uh, and for moving Frazier. It. Yeah, <laughs> really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you, Preston. Thank you, Ken. Okay, that will do it. Preston Beckman, by the way, is a daily contributor to TV by the Numbers under his persona of The Masked Scheduler. And he can be followed on Twitter at Masked Scheduler. And I also mention again that he is a media consultant and chairman of The Beckman Group. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Randy Thomas, and this week, Preston Beckman. If you want to get hold of me for any reason, I'm easily reachable. Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com. That is my email address. I will write you back. Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com. And again, I could use a five-star rating on iTunes. I do not know why they keep telling me to plug it, and so I do. Thank you very much in advance. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood.